This is Looking at the Sky podcast. What comes to your mind when uh, you hear the word coffee? Um, passion and business. <laughs> <laughs> and that those two tend to go to go together. I think first, how did that, how did passion for coffee, um, uh, come, come into your life? Was it from the early childhood or was it, uh, no, it was later on, later, later on, um, from childhood, I enjoyed the farm very much, but I never saw it as my future. Um, I never thought I was going to be working with coffee, to be honest. Uh, it was later on that it became like, uh, it became like a challenge, like a personal challenge. And then when I realized I could convert it into business and that I could um, have finally an export-import business that I was like, my dream then i became passionate about it and passionate about business as well yeah but like with something that i'm like that i came back to my inheritance or my legacy or my family's legacy that i i will continue it and like kind of improving it because nobody in the family was uh, for so many years doing anything with it. So it was going to be just pretty much, um, you know, there's gonna, there was going to be this um, stop in generations because it's been passed through generations. But I think if I didn't continue it, that was it. We would have planted anything, something else at the farm or simply sell the land. How many generations? And do you know who started it? Yeah, in your family? it was my great grandpa. So I'm, I'll be the, I am the fourth generation. So my great grandpa started it back in 1918 um yeah <laughs> he started out of nowhere he used to transport uh maize with mules for huge farms estates um so practically he grew um I don't know if you can call it like a, a freight business. It's like, like a transportation business uh, yeah. with mules. Logistics. So, logistics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he started uh, acquiring more and more mules, and he was moving uh, already like a decent amount of maize for the rich families of Guatemala. Uh, but like probably he had a vision on his own because we he started 
purchasing land and planting coffee on that land. He was the first one in our region specifically to start planting coffee. So that's how it started. And he just grew and grew and grew and left about 2,000 hectares of land for his family. <laughs> and for the coffee nothing. business, is this, is this a lot? It's, it's a lot. You have that amount of... Yeah. Um, of course, he had 10 children and that, chil that 10 children had 10 children. <laughs> So now it's divided within like 500 people, you know. Wow. Uh, but if do you, you know think from somebody, where... yeah, if you think somebody owning 2,000 hectares of coffee now, it's just like, we just know like a couple of families that, and they're their biggest players in the coffee industry in Guatemala. Wow. Do you mm. know, uh, was... I don't know how much you know, of course, but Guatemala was always a, a coffee country. Not, or he brought it from from uh, neighboring always. countries. No, I mean, when he started, there was already a, um, you know, the coffee industry was established in Guatemala, but like in different regions of the country. He started it in that specific area that is closer to the city um but the to guatemala um, city yeah it's like one hour one and a half hour away from the city um mm. but yeah usually if i remember well before that the, there was a group of german families that were the ones who really um were the big players in the coffee industry like the in the 1800s 1800s and then up to the 1950s 1960s uh, the coffee industry was dominated by german families that came to guatemala in the 1800s i, I believe what happened to them or they just assimilated and simply became guatemalans um, in a way yeah i mean you still find coffee companies with german last names um but i guess they they've sold some land so you don't mm -hmm. see it anymore as like uh, a couple of german families are the big powerful players you know they kind of uh faded but you still can see in, in certain regions that there are coffee farms owned by probably fifth generation uh, German descendants. Mm -hmm. mm. How many how many big players now you have in Guatemala? Um, Coffee uh, companies. So there are about 20 something um, big companies. They're usually uh, called dry mills. So it's um, the companies that already prepare the coffee for export. Um, many mm -hmm. of them own farms. Uh, so they all like, they might own a big farm, but they also purchase a lot of coffee. And then they are the ones to export it. Mm -hmm. So there are about 20 something big companies like that.
do they all go for quantity or there are who like yourself uh, focus on quality more than let's say quantity so it's mostly volumes um mm. it's mostly volumes but um over the last 5 years the specialty industry it's really been growing so there are already like several farms and mills that look for this um uh, it's called micro lots so it's mm-hmm. one container holds 250 bags of 69 kilograms so a micro lot could have uh 10 20 bags and then now mm-hmm. there are even nano lots that is just like vacuum pack uh, small boxes which you can sell for a very high prices like very high-end coffee um so yeah that's been growing but still uh most is, mass industry ma- for mass volumes but then when you think about volumes also each country has a different differential it's called so you see the market it's called the c market so that's the price set by uh the new york um c market that's how it's called for coffee so that's for the usa or is for whole it's, it's Latin the world America even or it's, it's worldwide? It's worldwide. Even though it's in New York, it, it sets the prices worldwide. And what is in New York? It's like coffee organization or... Uh... It, it's just because it's like the, the stock exchange. Um, so ah, okay. for so many it comes commodities... From, let's say Wall, Wall Street kind of. Yeah, let's exactly. Say... Exactly. Just to have an idea where it Yeah, they're from. the ones who who set the price. Uh and that depends on many factors like the weather in Brazil, uh how much Brazil produces, because Brazil is the uh, largest producer of coffee in the world. So if they decide to um have like a massive if they have like a massive year and then there's a surplus of several million bags, the price just like plummets, like goes down significantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if they have a shortage, um, if if they start losing their their crop through low temperatures, because coffee is very susceptible to low temperatures, uh, so then the prices start going up. It practically depends on Brazil. Most of the time. Oh, um, so they look at Brazil for indication. Yeah. Do you know many, which place uh, Guatemala is in the world? Uh, for, I think last time I checked, we're like, we're always between fourth and sixth place. Uh, so that is very high for, I mean, considering that the Guatemala is not such big country. Yeah. We're one a big player we can say that but we were even bigger we've been now it's been stable for a few years 
but for several years we were i would say that many decades ago i think we were third place third or fourth okay. just below um colombia like there's always brazil colombia, and, colombia. and then like another central american or now ethiopian ethiopia i think third if you are if you think about arabica because there's arabica and robusta and robusta mm -hmm. is the one you use for um, instant coffees so vietnam is the second biggest producer in the world if you think about just coffee but then if you mm -hmm. separate arabica uh, it's brazil then colombia and i think then ethiopia and now even honduras which was always below us now they produce more than us so so this um, you said instant robusta is for instant coffee mostly yeah it's used and for by instant, instant coffee. coffee you mean espresso or or no instant what is coffee, instant coffee? Is the, um so europe which brand is in europe nescafe it's just mm -hmm. like um the one that ah, you just like add powdered. water powdered it's powdered. just powder yeah you just add water and you mix uh -huh. it so for that this... is robusta yeah mostly yeah and arabica is let's say quality coffee if if with the with machines and you know so yeah, on and it's, so forth it's more it's not as bitter it's um it's more pleasant uh, uh -huh. but arabica is harder to grow and it produces less why is that it's because of the plant it's uh, just genetics yeah and why only these two species of coffee are there aren't there more or it's just how there, they're basically there are grouped? a couple more but like under arabica there's thousands of varietals um mm. so just at our farm we have now let me see two three we have just about six varietals and each of them in general you can say they're arabica but i have um let's say i have one that is called anacafe 14 that it's a local varietal that it's a hybrid between other two varietals that come from one is Pacamara that comes from El Salvador, and that varietal is also a hybrid of two varietals that is Bourbon <laughs> and Pacas. And if you want to talk about Pacas, it's actually named after a Lithuanian family that oh, really? immigrated to El Salvador. So if you see the Lithuanian specialty <laughs> market, you'll see a lot of Lithuanian roasters that have coffee from the Pacas family because they are proud that it comes from mm -hmm. lithuanian roots yeah wow and, and so, the coffee was brought by spans spaniards right to, or it was before no do you know that uh, i don't remember on the top of my head now i have the book of the story of coffee in guatemala and it tells you exactly who brought it <laughs> but i remember it was um a religious group uh, uh okay uh -huh. catholic 
it, it wow. had to be Catholic. Um, yeah. And they were the ones who brought the seed, I think, from Africa. So, as I understand, a comparison came to my mind. You can say, like, this is Arabica is like cactus, and then you have a lot of different cactus, you know, under the, the, the big title cactus. So, Arabica is something like that, basically. It's just a generic term for, and then you have a lot of, a lot of varieties. Yeah, it's like uh, the generics are similar. Mm -hmm. um, it comes like from the same mother, let's say, like mother trees. But then there are like, as I was explaining, you can crossbreed them. Or yeah. sometimes there are natural mutations. It just can happen mm -hmm. at your farm. You see some plants that behave differently. And then the agronomist test them, breed them until it becomes a a varietal that they can already offer to the to the farmers or to them. How do you choose varieties for 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 yourself? What what are the criteria uh, that guide you? So it you? depends depends on on your soil, on your altitude, uh, and on your climate. That's the three most important combinations. Um, so it's not that sometimes you choose, but it's actually what you can have in, in, in some respect. Yeah, now there's more access to different seeds. There are some agronomies that would offer like 50 different varietals and you choose, do you want mass production? Uh, you want like something more balanced, like fair production, good quality, or you want lower production, very high quality. It's it's like you cannot get high production, high quality. Something in the genetics. It that, doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. The plants that produce the more that are resistant to many diseases and uh, uh, like there are some bacteria that affect mm -hmm. coffee, um, some fungus that mm -hmm. can destroy your crop. The ones that are resistant to everything, they don't offer the quality for very high-end uh, lots of coffee. The ones that are like very, very high-end quality, they practically die at you looking at them you need to take care of them like <laughs> they're little babies i don't know that's how the world works in coffee isn't... and in most industries i guess <laughs> and then isn't it i don't know to to cover them to protect them or they have to be um they have to you... be outside actually no i mean is it possible to close them not really um you can do a little experiment like in a greenhouse, but it, it wouldn't be sustainable. What you try to do is to find the balance um, in terms of shade. So it's a lot of planning. Uh, mm -hmm. If you don't have already enough shade on the land that you're going to plant them, you need to work on um, temporary shade, and that's practically letting the weeds grow in the dry season so mm -hmm. they provide certain uh, cover from sun exposure because it might be that it wouldn't rain for 
two, three months straight. So if they are like under the sun, they'll die for sure. So you need to um, find the the balance uh, on the shade because also too much shade, they they wouldn't be healthy. And they watering? You don't like... water them at all? It's... You just leave them to nature, or or there is you can. That's mostly you leave them to nature. We are doing some experiments, like if it's Brazil, that they are very advanced on planting coffee with the irrigation systems. Mm -hmm. So when it's about irrigation, they need to be hundred percent under the sun. Um, and they grow super quickly and it's, it's very easy, but we have like, uh, one hectare like that, but we don't have, um, a constant supply of water. We need to purchase the water. So it's just, uh, not too mm -hmm. sustainable. It's just for an experiment. Uh, if it works, and, uh... we probably need to either make a well or or find land with a uh, uh, supply of water to really do it the, mm -hmm. the right way because the cost of water will kill your profit you know uh, mm -hmm. so most of the farm and is you... just like it, it depends on nature and you cannot use the rivers bare because they're too polluted there's barely any rivers uh, mm. left on our region they are drying up because of the dams or just because of people are taking it on the, their way from the no it's just some of them are contaminated and they're not too close to our farm um there was one that used to flow there, but it just they just dry up. There's nothing holding it. Um, it just dried up naturally. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. So okay. So when did you took this uh, passion for coffee seriously? When you told yourself, okay, now I'm gonna. Now I'm gonna do it. Do you remember? Well, it's a it's a process of about that's seven years. Um, mm -hmm. When I was living in Europe in Sweden, I started realizing that there were some farms from Guatemala, like well positioned in the European market, and I saw that there were already some. It was just starting. There were some specialty coffee roasters, and I realized that they were buying directly from the farm, um, probably through an exporter importer, but still they had this relationship with the farm. And I saw that the prices were very high, so I figured that they must be paying fair to the farmers. Um, so I started like thinking that maybe I can help out my family, you know, because uh, I still didn't own 
uh, uh-huh. our land. It was still my grandpa's. Uh, so all I thought at that moment is like, oh, that's cool. I mean, we're just coffee can be profitable if you find the right buyers. So I started requesting samples from my family, but uh, they were they had they didn't have the experience to deal directly with roasters. All we knew is like produce the coffee, normal coffee, which normal mm-hmm. coffee for Guatemala is it's good coffee. But for that coffee, you need to have a container, you know, what we talked before. So we needed something that would uh, differ- differentiate us. Um, so the samples that they were sending were like, roasters were telling me that it's okay, but it it's not enough like to to figure out like all the logistics to bring the coffee all the way to Europe. Um, and, and nobody uh, in my yeah. Just to ask you, a roaster is a is a is a company who is selling the coffee. Yeah. So a already. roaster, they buy what it's called the green beans. So mm-hmm. the green bean is like the final stage of coffee previous to roasting it. So okay. you sell these big uh, jute bags. Um, mm-hmm. Then the roaster has the roasting machine. They, they roast it, mm-hmm. then they pack it, and they sell it. There are two types of roasters. There are like wholesalers that they just do business to business and it's like they are massive and usually they supply to supermarkets or big chain and then there's the specialty roasters that they might have a little bit of wholesale but they mostly have maybe a couple of cafes or uh, a very nice uh, e-commerce business uh, but mm-hmm. it's mostly uh retail they they sell to the to the consumer um so those like as a producer an exporter i need to find uh roasters they are the ones who who are gonna buy our coffee um so i was sending tons of samples and i thought it was easy i thought like I'm in Europe, I can meet them directly, all they need is a sample, oh, they love it, I'll be shipping containers in <laughs> one year, you know. <laughs> so you were you were sending them all over Europe or only Sweden? Uh, I tried the Nordic countries, I tried Sweden, um, Norway and Denmark, because at the time I think they were... Um, they were like kind of pioneers in in certain uh, coffees and certain level of roasters. Mm-hmm. Um, quality. So was, quality, quality coffee. Yeah, in the level of quality and the roasts, they even uh, implemented like the Nordic roast, which is a very light roast um, that you can feel like very intense flavors and the acidity is very high which is the opposite of what you get uh, 
in the supermarket or in these chains like like Italy or that they like over roast the coffee and they like mix a lot of stuff in it you know to flavor the coffee but the the Nordics were the ones who were like um, kind of like the coffee has a lot of flavor on its own so don't put Mm -hmm. sugar on it you know Um, yeah so I sent like several samples and it was they all got rejected and so I didn't and I didn't see anybody from my family in Guatemala really trying to make an effort to improve or to even understand what I was trying to do or to understand the market at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, this is not going to work out. And several years went by and I always kept like um, a close eye in the specialty mm-hmm. coffee industry. I saw it grow and back in 2018, it's when... Um, my wife, Eva, she was like, probably I was talking too much about coffee or like what we could have done or maybe complaining about why my family wouldn't want to make a change to actually make the farm sustainable, yeah. stuff like that. So she was the one who pushed me to go back to Guatemala. And I think she kind of regrets <laughs> Because I don't know, she <laughs> she didn't realize that she was gonna need to spend like several months in Guatemala. <laughs> so, well, anyways, like we. So she gave you that came... push that. Yeah, she she gave the push. We started saving. We were living in the U.S. in Rhode Island, uh, one hour away from Boston. Uh, we started saving, saving. We were we had just average jobs, and on the weekend we had like a business selling hair accessories, so mm-hmm. nothing to do with coffee, nothing to do with export or even, well, mm-hmm. I was yeah, a no, bit. it's not it's not the <laughs> I didn't dream of that. It was uh, it was our start. It was our yeah, start. so once we got enough. Um, funds to come to Guatemala for several months and process the coffee the way I thought it had to be done to finally get samples approved by roasters. Uh, So we just started. Uh, We tried first uh, harvest 2019. It didn't work out. We didn't have the right infrastructure. We tried a lot of setbacks. Uh, we go went back to the states, save a little bit more, and then back in 2020, um, is when we That's really COVID, during COVID. Yeah, practically, we started processing um, the coffee in January 2020. So just, just the beginning. Yeah, we just had it beginning. ready by April. Uh, which it was already in the middle of COVID. Uh, the coffee was exported. I needed to find um, um, a company to consolidate because it was just 
45 bytes. Um, sounds like not too much, but it's still thousands of dollars worth of in investment. And uh, without any clients, it was just like... So you just shipped it to US? I just shipped it to a warehouse in the US. The coffee arrived in June 2020, and the airport was closed, the Guatemalan airport. Uh, they opened back in October, and we flew with Eva to the US, and practically just with a list of 60 roasters that we just started visiting and knocking on doors. Uh, and we got our first clients and we sold that coffee, but we, we practically needed to figure out everything, like improve quality for mm -hmm. sure, but then like figure out all the logistics because they're like, I don't know. How does it work the logistics? Okay. So you grow the coffee, you process <laughs> it, you don't roast it or you roast it. No, I don't roast it. Um, so you, it is uh, sent, not green. roasted. Yeah, green. roasted, Based. green. Um, okay, so you have the green bean packed in your farmhouse. What's the next step? Yeah, well, so there are two meals. So the first meal is called the wet meal. Mm -hmm. So that's what we have, and that's the process uh, that we needed to improve. Like, we needed to improve from picking just picking the ripe cherries, then sorting, um, and then like... So that, then you speak about human aspect, those pickers. Humans, yeah. Uh, change their mind, um, <laughs> raise, raise the, the price, per, they are paid by the pound. So we needed to, to improve the price, but <laughs> that, that's not enough. Like they were begging us to pay less, but let them pick like everything. It's <laughs> <laughs> the, the first time when I'm here. Someone begging to yeah, they they really didn't didn't like that change because nobody in our region has been How doing it. How did you tell them? Um... Like, how did you introduce, like, what kind of berry they have to pick? You show them? I uh, show them, literally. Like, like this I... is what I'm at. And then the other ones, you leave them on the tree, potentially that, to become better? or That's, that's the ideal. Um, the dry ones, it doesn't matter because at the meal, they will float. And they will be separated into a lower grade that it's not exported mm -hmm. but then the on the ripe which they can be like green color and then yellowish turning to mm -hmm. red those if you don't have now there are color sorters not many um, producers or farmers own them because they are very expensive um, but we look to have them eventually in a few years. But anyways, if you don't have that uh, and you just like process the coffee like that, the coffee might be dense enough to look and to wait like a good one, but it's not. And then once it's shipped to the roaster and it's roasted... It damages the quality. 
it's it's a lower quality bean and you can feel it on the cup it's like an underripe fruit you know it is not mm-hmm. tasty it, it has some off uh could be sour flavors so if you really want like a very special lot and if you want a different price you need to make sure there are not on the right so cherries. the selection process is probably selection. done not once it's yeah how, how many times you select okay so this first harvest they collect probably then you look at it again through the yeah wet, that's, that's uh, what we were doing uh they were picking then they were selecting and then back at the mill we were selecting again uh now we don't do it anymore, but it was a year. It it was a process of four years. Now the cherries come at a stage that we don't have to do like two selections. They already come mm. good enough that we can process them. And then when we're drying, we took a few that went through and that's it. So it was like a matter of education, educating the pickers for a few years to get to this point. So Do you have them uh, stable, uh, the pickers, or it's a not really, a but rotation? Like, but you know, like, once you work with, um, I mean, with our farm and the pickers go to other relative farms that w- it was the land that used to be my great-grandpa's, they, they are rotating. So in a way, all the pickers in the area already know us, and they know that no matter they what... They don't want to work with you. Exactly. <laughs> no matter You're... what farm they go, if if it, if it's owned by Adel Cid, they might... They, pa- they pass. <laughs> they, they might find these like, crazy guys that are super um, strict with the picking, especially, well... In the last couple of years, Eva hasn't been involved because of our baby. But before, they were like terrified of her. It's like <laughs> because what what can they tell? Um, like you know, a, a girl that comes and picks and selects with them, and like she's super strict, so they they feel a little bit intimidated and they're like, uh, because usually it's like, if you're like strict with them, but you just give orders, they turn their back on you. But if somebody that's not even from this country comes and it's just like, gets right on and, and, and select with them, they feel like, okay, uh, we, we can't quit, you know, like this, this girl is doing it, you know. This, so they feel embarrassed, like that a foreigner is doing it, and like in their, I don't know. It, it's just like it was something in their mind that it was like, oh, there she comes again. But then, then kind of they <laughs> felt motivated that she was. It's a plus. Working. It's not a minus. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a plus that ever. Uh, that she was involved, in them, like you know? in the early stages. Uh, and now it's good. Oh, wait, like there's so, already, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So just to so the wet one and after the wet one, what happens? All right. So they on the wet, like after we select, after we process yeah. the coffee, 
there are three different processes, but we could we could take hours if we separate. If we separate them, we will be talking hours. But okay, there are three different processes. Um, we dry them till an ideal moisture content, which is between ten and twelve percent. Ideally, ideally, like in the middle, let's say eleven percent. Once they're like, how you at, measure that? We have a machine to measure it, or if we have a guy that has experience, they just can't tell. Uh, oh wow! Forty years just... doing that, they just can feel it. They can see it. They can feel the. Mm-hmm. Um, the coffee yeah experience basically it's just experience uh i was with my like with my machine and one guy that has 40 years experience working with coffee he didn't even trust my machine he was even offended (laughs) by me using it (laughs) (laughs) so i was like i tried like amateur yeah like several lots and i was like okay he would tell me, oh, that looks like it's around 11. I would put it on the machine, like sometimes 11 point something, but sometimes like straight 11. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you win. <laughs> we don't need the machine, <laughs> you know? Sometimes it's just experience. Um, so okay. anyways, once it's our ideal moisture content, we bag it and we send it to the other mill. It's called a dry mill. Um, we would love to own that one of those eventually, but those are like really, really very expensive. And I don't know, like very, very few producers or farmers own their own dry meal. Um, but basically what they do is that they prepare it for export. They uh, sort it. Uh, first, there's a density sorter. Uh, practically the ones that are not dense enough, they are separated um, because if if you mix them together and then you roast them, the ones that are not dense, they will burn. Um, and then it comes to the issue that the ones that were on the ripe, but they were still, that they were already heavy enough, that density solder will not detect, de- detect them. Um, then there's a screen size sorter, uh, which basically separates the beans by size. Uh, because if you're going to sell a very um, high-end uh, coffee, it needs to be at a certain size. I and you tell have... that everything to them in advance. Because obviously, if you go to them to produce quantity coffee you don't ask so many things or is by default they do all these things no you you fill out um what you want what you want basically uh and also Mm. the size of the lot like if it's a very small lot it's practically obvious like they they process it at the highest quality if it's certain volumes then they ask what quality would you like what how many they send it to um to a lab uh, and there's a professional copper, it's called. Practically, they grade the beans, they search for, they roast it, they see if there are defects, uh, and then they cop, they cop is practically taste. They taste it, and then they give the feedback 
to to the person that is milling the coffees to see if it's already if it's ready or if it needs more sorting. Wow, incredible! So also, job. like depending on how you pick, how you do at the at the wet mill, uh, that's gonna be also how your yield output will be at the dry mill. Because if you give them a very uh, crappy coffee not selected, and if you ask them to do it like to sort it for the highest quality, sometimes they will remove practically like 30% or some craziness like that. So you lose like a lot of yield output, and it, it'd be very, it wouldn't be sustainable. That's why you need to take care from from picking. Even before picking, the farm practices can detect the <laughs> the quality of your bean, but that's a whole other story. Also. So and after that, they go to to a port, and they are shipped to. After yeah. after it, that goes the second win, uh, the second mill. The dry mill, yeah. it's ready for exporting or even... They, they pack it there and the container gets there. Um, right now it took us... So we already exported uh, four harvests, which is three mm -hmm. years. Uh, and this fourth harvest is the first time we shipped our own container uh, without consolidating. Uh, so we needed to figure out everything. Uh, hired like the freight forward, uh, have all the licenses to export, prepare all the paperwork, uh, book the container. Uh, so practically, you book the container, it arrives to the dry mill, they load. It goes, in our case, it goes to... Um, you rent the, the container. You 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 kind of rent it because yeah, then after it, it it comes back. Uh... Yeah, it it just you just book it, and once the service finished, they just take it back to mm -hmm. to their container yard. It's this massive company. Like we work with Maersk. I'm sure you've seen the Maersk containers. It's like this huge Danish company. Um, okay. So uh, it goes to uh, the port of Santo Tomas. It's called. It's at, by like at the um, Atlantic. Mm -hmm. and it's then, still in Guatemala. It's still in Guatemala, and then it's loaded into the vessel. And the container uh, route is very interesting because it goes south to Panama, and mm -hmm. then from Panama is loaded into another vessel that goes north to the US and finally it unloads in uh, New Jersey and then it's taken to a big coffee hub. It's practically these massive warehouses that they just store coffee mm -hmm. and from there we distribute to the roasteries. Do you lose a lot of coffee in the transit or it's quite safe? No, it's safe. Uh, you have insurance. Even, even in Guatemala, you don't expect that someone will. Ah, in Guatemala, you have to be careful. Uh, you hire um, security. Practically, the container is guarded. Uh, 
all the way to the port. So you need to think about security and you need to think about insurance. Of course. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a uh, coffee once it's already like in the container. Uh, it's not like and they the usually go after are sealed. They're the sealed. Seal. Yeah. They usually seal it before arriving to the dry mill. Uh, mm. Fortunately, our dry, like, the dry mill is literally 10 minutes away from our wet mill. So the risk is very little. But usually... You, they, you bring it yourself? I have my local guy that owns trucks and mm. I work with him. Um, he's he's okay. very... Because you need to trust who's going to who's going to bring your coffee because usually they might be the ones who that's what they wanted to to, you know? to say that they are the the, the suspects you know because yeah. they can open exactly so you need free to, coffee you need to trust your your local logistics guy <laughs> but also i pro probably at, at this point you know everyone in that business in your region yeah beyond. so you, you you know each other so I, I i don't think it's that difficult to find out if you really want to you you stick to to a few you you work in a close circle um in the beginning we tried working with a lot of people and we kind of uh started selected selecting yeah who who's like on the same page about quality who's in the same page about certain transparency uh who's not trying to rip us off you know uh you start yeah. selecting and then uh, once you have the people you trust it it becomes much easier um because this this guy that moves the coffee for us he also uh when we don't want to do like a very specific process we want just like regular solid good coffee uh, mm -hmm. He even owns a mill now, so I can. Mm. He can get the cherries, mills it, and he he gets them ready for me when it's uh, doing the moisture content. Because in our mill, we focus just like on very very specific processes. Mm -hmm. So if I have demand for a certain other process, I can even outsource. So the same guy that owns the the trucks and the pickup trucks that moves my coffee on cherry and on parchment which is the one that is goes to the dry mill he also can process my coffee it's like very easy working with him that's very that's very important in business yeah if not how's your family now uh how's your family now looking at you more ser seriously yeah they realized that <laughs> because when i was working at the family mill they... You know, it's always like they're not doing anything, but when somebody starts, they're like threatened by your own presence. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, like they'd rather see the meal um, not working and... Covered in bush. Yeah, literally like going to waste you know uh rather than see one member of the family trying to do you do know something. why it was lost what happened what happened after your great 
grandfather why the coffee why it stopped i mean my so my grandfather inherited the farm from my great grandpa mm-hmm. since the almost i think late 70s early 80s um and he had a very good um couple of decades i would say uh ah, so where, he continued Continued yeah, my, my grandpa, yes. Um, it's just, it got to a point that producing the coffee the way he's used to, it was not profitable anymore. And he never understood how to do that change. And when I tried mm. to do that change involving him, it just didn't work out. It didn't work well. So... Um, they thought I was kind of playing, doing some experiments, which I did plenty of experiments, but like, uh, but they are important. How you, how else you, yeah, exactly. Then discover. Yeah. So they, I don't know. And once they saw that I was moving a little bit more coffee and, and the family meal was like getting full of of the cherry that I was processing that I, this is kind of weird and ironic, but I started when I started, we just started using the meal. Practically we hadn't inherited the land yet. So mm-hmm. I was buying the coffee cherries from my grandpa to process it at the meal. All right. Fair enough. He was still working at the farm. You know, I was not expecting him to give me stuff for free, right? But, like, at least let me work, man, you know? <laughs> well, anyways, um, after a couple that's, of years... That's good experience, you know? Everything yeah. Everything is good experience. Just, he pushes to the limit, I guess, in a <laughs> not-so-nice way, but I guess you need that. Um, after a couple of years processing at the grandpa's meal or the family meal, um, we realized it was not going to work out because it was not a game anymore. It was a real business mm-hmm. and we needed, um, we needed to grow. So we, now we have our own meal and once we get our own meal, they, <laughs> they stopped bothering us like completely but in a way that they like the other members of the family felt threatened that maybe I wanted to mm-hmm. be that kind of person that start processing in a meal and then like nobody else was going to be able to use it and I wanted to you know like have it for myself and maybe mm-hmm. steal their inheritance or whatever and they just realized that it Classic. Yeah. Uh, they just realized that I just wanted to work. And they realized that if they would come together, because in those two years, easy to say, like, um, how threatened they feel by us or by me working there. But nobody came once, even though they are inheriting also coffee farms, nobody came to say like I want to help I want to learn what are you doing I'm going to inherit the coffee farm like 
how how can we work together how can we make our farm sustainable nothing not one <laughs> which is incredible how we look straight we feel scared and uh, we don't connect and we think that all oh, this uh, maybe because of your name huh? pablo is Maybe people are afraid of Pablo's. <laughs> I want to take everything. Yeah, but it's true that you know, whole family members try to cut each other's throat rather than... Yeah, but you know, what especially they... Especially if they are inheriting. Yeah, but they really... I mean, all the investment we have here, which is like a huge investment, it would be there at the family meal that it was everybody supposedly well at and the now, end you're you're extending the legacy when you think of it so just continuing what your great grandfather did in in the current times you know you you adopt new methods uh and then uh, which is different but you know times change in the coffee business um yeah. how how um how do you update yourself about the or how you look for new ways uh you go to i don't know like do you have this like public markets maybe in us you know where all the biggest roasters come or like the new trends because i assume it's it is changing as yeah. all agricultural industry it is changing with the sustainability uh environmental cautiousness and and all these things so i guess it touches coffee as well definitely um practically one of the advantages um, of us being able to sell directly to the roasters it's um spending time with them and understanding what are their needs um because they are the ones who are selling to the consumer so if we have this close relationship, practically I can process depending on what they're asking for. And also they release different lots from our farm, which tastes differently. And through the years, they tell us like which one they like the most. So mm -hmm. I practically process certain lots specifically for certain clients. Um, mm -hmm. that's one and also being super transparent with them they also tell me um, look I'm working with this uh, importer from Colombia who has these coffees and they are done with these processing methods and I'm like so I can do research about it and then I can try that processing method in our farm and see if it works because there's always something like sometimes we um, we try different things um, that we come up here at the farm, but sometimes it's just mm -hmm. another, like a farm from Costa Rica or from Colombia who have like, who have been in the specialty industry much longer than us. Uh, so they might have already like more advanced processes and we can try to, to see if we can adapt that process to our mm -hmm. coffee. Um, that's so that's it's a one way. Constant, constant, constant learning. Yes. Basically, there's always uh, there's something new to learn, and uh, 
to get the, the, the best quality possible. Yeah, once you think, because uh, in Guatemala, it's not about being negative. <laughs> Most Guatemalans that own a coffee farm are like, we have coffee from Guatemala at certain altitude. It's the best coffee in the world. <laughs> yeah, we we are blessed, if you want to call it that way, that without much effort, our coffee already reach a certain quality. But haven't you realized the other 100,000 Guatemalan farmers <laughs> around? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> maybe you want to do something differently if you want to stand out or find a better find price your for way, your coffee, basically. you know? Yeah, find yeah. your find your style, you know. Exactly, it's, it's true. I mean, if if you wanna keep doing it the same, it's just it's just part of the same. You just sell it to an intermediary who sells it to an another intermediary intermediary who sells it to the big coffee mill who exports it to the U.S. Uh, towards a big importer who like it just went through ten people, yeah. you know. If you want to be something and do something differently, maybe not everybody has our, um, you know, like um, the possibilities that we have to travel often to the U.S. and to actually deal directly with roasters. But at least if you did something differently, you can skip several intermediaries once you reach certain quality, you know. <laughs> so said in Guatemala you sell to uh, just give it to friends and family just give it to friends it. we tried selling a little bit to the consumer in um, in the US one of our clients that buys that buy uh, a nice amount of, of green coffee from us and he likes very very nice quality um, we were staying we had a, a small apartment um, mm -hmm. very close to his roastery so he did uh, what is called tall roasting for us so it's practically he uh, roasted some of our coffees and then we would come to the roastery and pack it uh, under our own brand and we sell we were selling it to the consumer it's a nice experience um, but it's like another full time job you know we took the focus yeah. of the green coffee to the roasted and I don't think it's maybe in the future but right now I think uh, our potential is just like keep exporting and importing more green and keep finding more more clients more roasters and just focus on the on the volumes or on the high-end lots of, of green coffee rather than selling roasted to the consumer. The biggest uh, chunk is the in going to the U.S., or all of it, actually. Almost. Um, this last crop, we shipped uh, like that full container to the U.S., and we shipped one container. It was not full, uh, just 60 bags of uh, high quality coffee to Saudi Arabia. It's very random. The US and Saudi Arabia. <laughs> ah, so you started shipping to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, they're already um, 
it was a huge process, but they they already received our coffee and they are already selling it. So it's interesting because we have these bags. Um, I can show you. So, so this is, let's say how the bags look, how they sell it in the US. Uh, this is one new client. Um, they put the region, the country. They do the design, they do everything. They yeah, just it's their own brand. A... They just, some of them mention, mention us. Some, depending on the quality, if it's like a very high quality coffee, usually they choose to say, Oh, this is from Pablo and Eva del Cid, or just from Finkel Hardin, uh, the region, altitude, or more mm -hmm. information. And then if it's um, a good coffee, but nothing like crazy, they can uh, blend it with uh, uh, a Colombian or another one to do like like a nice ah, okay. house blend, Understood. they call it. Understood. Um, so, yeah. And then for Saudi, it's pretty cool. I don't have the bags, but I saw that they released them. It's just like the first time everything is like in Arabic. <laughs> so they have all the... From uh, other way, yeah. It's so Altis interesting. region and in Arabic. And it's like they have uh, the coffee industry. There is totally different. It's all about influencers. Uh, all about the looks, how it looks luxurious. So they have all these influencers uh, making videos for them, uh, promoting their brand. So I, I see on their social media, on their Instagram, suddenly like they take a bag uh, of uh, the Guatemalan and, I, and they don't say send the name. Send it to me. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'll so send it to me. Uh, yeah, it is so interesting to, to, to. Yeah, I mean, it's a different world. The Middle East yeah. is. Uh, they don't. They don't like to say the name of the producer or the farm. I, they, it's just different culture. It feels like they feel like their competitor can see who supplies the coffee. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, they they rebranded as um, Maya is one of the lots, and then the other lot is Pacaya because of the volcano that is close to our farm. Mm -hmm. So it's so cool. I see this. Um, a lot of girls, influencers, like with their kind of home baristas, uh, and they do these like super cool videos with the pour-overs, and they show the brand, and they're like super cool. It's amazing, different. actually, what the influencers do. Yeah, it's cool. It's all about the... Uh, it's fascinating the, what, how people are are doing it so you u.s sense and and then u.s now we have a lot of how, how many clients you have we have about um five solid clients and then a few very small ones mm -hmm. make a few orders here and there and we're gonna add uh two more clients in most of our clients are, or all our clients are in the Northeast, uh, New York State, uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New Hampshire. Um, so about seven clients there. 
and now we're going to start working with um, two roasters in Arkansas. Um, it's a nice Do experience. They all, now they find you, perhaps? Is that they come to you or you still have to... No, we're to still too small for that. Um, we need to be like... Kind of choose an area and just visit, go in person. Bombard it. <laughs> bring samples in <laughs> person. Yeah, practically. We were one week, one week in Arkansas, because uh, we have friends there, and um, I just we went to every specialty coffee roaster in the area, and two roasters already confirmed. So it's cool. We still need to ship it next week and see how they do. But it it looks like there's a lot of potential in in the south in the u.s for specialty coffee they are kind of a little bit behind the east and the west coast which is nice because i don't have um so much competition there yet so i think there's gonna be a big yeah hopefully there's gonna be a big uh i think there's already a big boom of specialty coffee because just in a small city i mean it's not too small it's like it's like four cities or four towns mm-hmm. and combined there are like seven eight hundred thousand people northwest arkansas mm-hmm. uh the walmart headquarters are there and another two uh, okay. fortune 500 companies so it's like a in the u.s when they when you think arkansas or one of the southern states uh people in the northeast or in the west coast they're like what's in there you know they don't think there's nothing but like there's this like bubbles of huge economic growth um there's the university of arkansas 33,000 students right there um so it's just like there were so many coffee shops so many roasters it was like ridiculous but they don't have this uh just one of them is like uh one of the first one, first ones that already have like close relationships with other farmers and they're kind of famous. But then on the other ones, I think they have like a very nice project, uh, very nice coffees, but they don't still, they're not still like highlighting well exotic varietals or mm. or like their relationships with a farmer and stuff like that. So I think they are excited to start doing that and that's where we hopefully can join them what about europe europe uh it's (laughs) europe is a little bit different um everything is about which importer do you work with like they don't they still don't see that we might have the potential to ship directly and when we tell them that we don't work with any importer yet they are like they think we're like we don't know what we're doing and they don't have mm-hmm. the time and they don't have like i don't want to be like you know when you're trying to start and uh, building a relationship with a new customer with a new roaster you don't want to sound arrogant like and bring like, look, I already work with these eight people in the U.S. And one of them is like a huge company like 
uh, and they're like, uh, I don't know. It's like we need to not find Europe is find not the yet. way. We tried talking to several Lithuanian roasters, but they're like, because I really want to sell coffee in Lithuania because Eva, my wife, is Lithuanian. Um, so I want the bags and the story to be about the Lithuanian that lives in Guatemala. And that's... It's like that you said, Pacas, the same. Yeah, yeah. but they, they don't take her seriously yet. They think that she's just a wife of a Guatemalan farmer. They don't, they don't see the whole picture yet. Um, mm-hmm. So once we'll see, we'll see how we how we work it out. Um, but yeah, it'd be nice to eventually sell in Europe. Well, I wish I wish you all the best with all your projects. Thank you. Appreciate it.